calling on the name of the Lord. And we're going to do this as, even as we fast next week. John chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, must be lifted up. In our hearts, the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in Him may have eternal life. That's what Jesus said about Himself in John chapter 3. Just as Moses lifted up the snake, so Jesus uses this historical incident of the bronze snake. And so we are using the bronze snake as a picture of calling on the name of the Lord. And um, you can read that story. It's a fascinating story. In Numbers chapter 21, verses 4 to 9, where these people are being beaten, I don't know what snake that, that was. Black mambas or green mambas or puff adders or, or snakes that, that were unleashed. Uh, you know, because people were complaining and, uh, you know, and grumbling against God and against Moses. And God was, was angry at them and began to judge them. And all sorts of things began happening uh, instead of that. And in the process, they repent. They say, we have done a, a bad thing by complaining against God and against you, Moses. And in the process... God says, Moses, build a, a bronze snake. I, I, what fascinates me about that is the process of time. Why are we waiting for Moses to build that bronze, bronze snake? Uh, the, you know, the snakes are unleashed. Everybody's waiting for Moses. It's like, and Moses is crafting this bronze snake. And, uh, and uh, that became a healing mechanism, you know, for God, from God for them. And so this bronze snake provided divine healing from the Lord. It required for the people to not focus on their own pain. Um, it was, and we said this last Sunday, that God could have used any other way to heal these people. So this particular method of healing was to drive home a particular set of principles. It's something that God is teaching them. And that's what God does along the way as He deals with us. He teaches us a bunch of things so we can grow in the process. So they were meant to, out of, coming out of this experience, to have learned a couple of things about the nature of God. So one thing was, he was saying, don't focus on your pain. When you get beaten, you've got to be focusing on that bronze snake. They had to use, learn to use the pain as a trigger of looking for looking up, of looking up to, to the Lord. They had to use, learn to use their situations as a trigger, as a platform, uh, the, the word says suffering produces character. Have you, have you ever thought about that? And what that means, suffering produces character. It's like that's the conversion. There's a conversion that happens in our hearts spiritually. In James, it talks about, you know, you know, you know we know that when we face trials of many kind, that, that we, are, we, are, we are being taught some things. We're being established in the Lord and and so God was teaching, us, uh, teaching these people something, and we're learning from this, from these people, that there's something about using my challenges and my situations and my pain as platforms to step into God, to reach out for God, instead of, in other words, God is basically saying your pains, your challenges and situations should not make your face look down, yeah? but you have to look up. They looked up and, you know, they were healed. They were, they, they were, they, the glory of God was, was revealed in them. For people, uh, the other point about this is that people had to learn to listen to Moses, to, 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 to the instruction of leadership. 
And so they went to a place, a position, by complaining and grumbling. And their attitude was nasty towards God and towards Moses. And God, because of that, judged them. And the way back to healing meant that they now had to listen to Moses. The same Moses they were complaining about. God is teaching them something. People were being taught not to be caught up in wound administration processes. You know, uh, wound administration. And then, as believers, we can do that, right? We can spend a lot of time just focusing on my pain and my situation, man. I'm carrying my pain. I'm carrying my situation. I own it. It's mine. Now, nothing is ours. It's, it's the suffering of Christ. That's what the Bible says. My challenges are the sufferings of Christ. They are the marks of, of the Lord. Every challenge that I have, every pain I go through is, in fact, the mark of the Lord. He owns it, I don't. The day I gave myself to him as my savior meant that my successes and my challenges were, would be owned by him. So he owns my pain. The sufferings of Christ. You know, the word suffering means the passion, the passion of the Lord. My tears are his. He owns, he owns everything that I am. Every challenge it takes, it takes it personally. It is now because I belong to him. And so, and so we can't own our own challenge. We can't own our own pain. We have to give it to the Lord. Cast our burdens to him, right? And take his own burden because his burden is lighter than ours. That's what the Bible says. And that's a, that's a discipline. That's an attitude. And, and, and that's what these people are being taught here. So healing would come to them uh, by calling on the name of the Lord and not by administrating your wound. And we said this, that we cannot afford to create pity parties and, and wound and just gathering around, around our wounds and everybody showing each other, look at my wound, how hectic it is. Really, the thing that we have to do is that what we've just done during worship is to look up to the Lord. Amen. And let that bring healing inside of our own hearts. That's a principle that God was teaching these people. But Jesus speaks on this, which is actually much more powerful for us now. Is that Jesus speaks on this very same principle for us. Which means that, that when you and I are standing at the cross, the cross is not a place where you look at yourself. How many of us know that? The cross is not the place where you get caught up with your own pain, your challenge, your wound, your sin. The cross is not a place where you get caught up with yourself. The, the cross is a place where you must focus on the wounds of Jesus. Because the wounds of Jesus are better than your wounds. How many of us know that? Your wounds don't heal you. Your wounds will kill you. Your wounds are fatal. They will kill you. They will unleash the spirit of death. But the wounds of the Lord are better. Because by his stripes we are healed. So focus on his wounds and not your wounds. At the cross we focus on the death of Jesus. Because the death of Jesus brings the good news of salvation. We don't focus on the things that are seeking to kill us. How many of us know that? Like Paul says, we're surrounded by death all the time. Yeah? That things that are seeking to kill you. 
if not physically, at least spiritually and emotionally. There are things that are seeking to kill you. There are always snakes that are crawling around you. They seek to kill you all the time. The situations of life. And you cannot be focusing on them. The one situation that you, death, that you have to focus on is that the death of Jesus. Because the death of Jesus brings the good news of salvation to you and I. And we've got to focus on the resurrection story of Jesus. Because the resurrection brings victory to us. So don't focus on yourself. At the cross, you know, the cross is not a place where we are looking at ourselves. And you know, sometimes as believers, we're going to have an unhealthy self-awareness, especially when we're going through difficulty and feel sad about ourselves. And that is sinful, you know. At the cross, the Lord Jesus requires that we are focusing on him. If we have committed sin, the point is not just to look at that sin, it's to, it's to confess that sin and give it away and take upon yourself the righteousness of Jesus. Amen. Yeah. When we're faced with challenge, and difficulty, and burdens of life at the cross, we don't look at ourselves at the cross. We look to Jesus. So your place of healing is that place called the cross. Of course, at the cross, there were all sorts of groupings and people. Some were feeling pity for Jesus. They were feeling sorry for him. Some were mocking him. We want to be a part of a company that celebrates the death of, death of the Lord because we know that it brings healing to us. It brings salvation to us. And that's very, very comforting. The mystery of salvation is what the cross unleashes to us. As we prepare to call on the name of the Lord and as we prepare for the fast next week. We need to, you know, uh, deepen these truths within our own hearts. The mystery of salvation is that if we start the journey with faith for the miracle of new life, we can only then sustain the journey with faith for continuous divine intervention. How do we hope to sustain the journey by other means and mechanisms? You and I started this journey by Believing God for the miracle of new life. For which you could do nothing. There was no works. There was no, no amount of planning and strategy that would actually empower you to step into new life. You just had to believe in the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how you began the journey. It was powerful enough to unleash the renewal of your spirit. It always says you already have the eternal man within you, inside of your own heart. And that's how... We began this journey, LSA. Salvation comes through substitution. Amen? There's nothing that you and I did to get saved, but only by the principle of substitution are we justified. Now, that's not only how you're supposed to begin. That's how you're supposed to sustain yourself. Each time you hit a situation, you need to be tapping into that substitution principle. If I face a challenge, it's like it's you, Lord, it's yours, it's not mine. Amen? These are the marks of Jesus that I carry within me. Jesus takes your place so that you can take his. So you offer your sin and pain through confession. You accept salvation and deliverance by faith. And you work out your salvation by obedience. And that completes the salvation you know, cycle. 
It has to take confession, faith, and obedience. And if there is no obedience, that, that salvation will be limping. It will be crippled. Work out your salvation with fear and with trembling because it is God who is working within you. So salvation comes through substitution. The principle of substitution that Jesus went to the cross on your behalf. He became the sin offering. He went to the cross on your behalf. He takes your place so that you can take his. That's how you and I began the journey. That's how we're going to have to sustain the journey. Now, we begin the journey by believing in the substitution principle, and then we go on to believe that we can fix things by ourselves. And that's sin. That's sinful. And it, it traps us into some level of darkness there. Each time we're caught up in a situation, we believe we can fix it. We become troubleshooters. But that's not how we began this journey. You offer your sin and pain through confession. You accept salvation and deliverance by faith. You work out your salvation by obedience. How many of us know that worry, pity, and tears don't bring salvation? Amen? How many of us know that? Worry, pity, and tears don't bring salvation. The cross does. How many of us know that? If you realize that you are a sinner and just got worried about it, that you are not going to be saved. Amen? Yeah? If you realize that you were a sinner and just cried about it, that wasn't going to move the heart of God. If you realize that you are a sinner, but then decided to offer to confess the fact that I'm a sinner and accept salvation by faith, then that moves the heart of God. There's a prescribed way of how life may be dealt with inside of my own life. When we follow the protocol of the cross, and we're guaranteed salvation. We want to follow the protocol of the cross. Now, the issue often with us believers is that we understand the principle when we begin the chain of salvation and we forget the principle along the way. We understand that, okay, when I got convicted by God and I realized I was a sinner, I may have cried, but if I cried only and did not actually make a, a, a confession of, you know, a, a prayer of confession, that was going to amount to nothing. How many of us know that? How many friends have you come across who have felt bad about their lives but are not saved still? still? And actually, if they don't get saved, they will go to hell. God is not moved by people feeling bad. God is moved by obedience according to the prescribed way. When we follow the protocol of the cross, we are guaranteed salvation. Worry, pity, and tears don't bring salvation to us. The cross does. The cross is the prescribed way. Amen? And the cross has a protocol. I must confess my sin. I must believe by faith. And then I must obey. Confession, faith, and obedience must work hand in hand for us, for there to be salvation and deliverance. The principle, the thing that I wanted to realize, that same principle applies consistently each time you and I bump into a situation. Amen? Yeah? You've got to confess, you've got to believe, and then you've got to obey God in terms of what He says. That's how these things work. Complaining, grumbling, and quarreling don't bring salvation. How many of us know that? Amen? Prayer of faith does. 
It's got to be prayer of faith. Compla simply complaining about a bunch of situations of grumbling, of, of being grumpy, quarreling. Don't change anything. Those things will not change anything. But prayer does. A prayer of faith, a prayer offered in faith is what we want to do. So the cycle of confession, faith, and obedience is what I want you to think about. The protocol of the cross begins with confession. Now we're looking at the mechanism of how to handle situations of life. And confession is a confession of identity, of position, and of actions. You confess to God about who you are, about where you are, and about what you've done. That's where the story, the process of salvation begins. Now, we don't only confess the things that, that we may have done. We also have to confess our identity. Who are you? God would ask us, right? Adam, where are you? Jacob, what is your name? Who are you? God would ask us. And so, sometimes we've got to confess identity. God, I think that I'm in a wrong position. You know, sometimes it's not that I've done a bunch of bad things, but I'm in a bad position. My heart is not in a correct location, God. I confess that. I'm in a bad position. My identity, I have a, a wrong sense of self. I have arrived at a sense of self that has not come from Jesus. It has come maybe from my brain or from a friend or from my spouse or, or from a work situation. It did not come from Jesus. If it did not come from Jesus, it is sin. Because I sent myself there. So I confess my identity, a wrong sense of self. It's like these people who said, we look like grasshoppers in our own eyes and in their eyes. It was sin. Sinful enough to make God angry. Because they sent themselves to an identity position that did not come from God. And so he would ask us, who told you that you are naked? You sent yourself there. Your brain sent you there. Your emotions sent you there. A situation sent you there. You listened to a wrong voice. And we have to confess these things. Even as we prepare for this fasting and a time of fasting and prayer, God, I want to confess that my identity, my sense of self is wrong. It did not come from you. I have sent myself to a place. God, I want to confess that my position, my heart position is wrong. Adam, where are you? My heart position is wrong. I want to confess that maybe I've done some bad things. I want to confess those actions. I want to confess those deeds. And then after confession is faith. Faith. Faith shifts me from me to what God has done for me. Amen? It shifts me from just simply being caught up in me, in my issues, to God and to what God has done for me. I begin to consider what God has already done. And I receive that same thing by faith. And that is Jesus on the cross. There is no other prescribed way. You know, sometimes we want to invent our own ways. Sometimes we think a friend will create, will provide salvation mechanism. 
sometimes one sentiment and, uh, uh, you know, there is only one way. Hebrews 10 tells us there is only one way. Jesus, Jesus at the cross, Jesus crucified is the way. And faith, therefore, shifts us from just focusing on ourselves and our situations and our pains and, and our challenges to God, you have done something for me. How many of us know that the cross has provided for everything that you ever will go through? Do you believe that? That there's not a single situation that you and I will go through. Not pain, not success, not challenge that has not already been provided for at the cross. So consider what God has already done. And then, of course, the next component to that cycle is obedience, actually. You have to work out that salvation. Work out the will of God. Don't work out other things. Don't work out the just things that man say, says. Work out the will of God. Don't, don't be caught up in public opinion. Work out the will of God. So that cycle of confession, of faith, and of obedience. And I want us to understand, confession is not just confession of the things I've done, but also confession of identity, positions, and hard positions, wrong sense of self is what needs to be confessed. A wrong heart position is what needs to be confessed. Wrong actions must be confessed. And then look to God and look at what God has already provided for. He's, 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 Jesus has been crucified for your deliverance. And that is enough for you, for you and I. To, to step into God's salvation inside of our own lives. So, so at the cross, we don't elevate our situations above the, above, above, the, above, above the cross, above Jesus. Amen? At the cross, we don't start by administrating our snake wound. We consider the spirit conviction. What is he doing inside of my own heart? Holy Spirit convictions are leading us to salvation. Each time God convicts, it's because he wants to save each time God convicts, it's because he wants to save. Each time God convicts, it is because he wants to save. That's why God will convict us. Let's seal this up by talking about some effective uh, you know, and powerful prayers. Getting ready. I'm just going to mention this. Getting ready to fast and to pray and to call on the name of the Lord. What's, what effective What? do effective prayers look like in the Word of God? Everybody got the principles? Amen? Effective and powerful prayers. First and foremost, effective and powerful prayer must be prayer that is offered according to the will of God. According to the will of God. First John 5, verses 14 to 15 this is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us, according to his will. God understands one language and one language only, the will of God. That's the language he speaks. And if we know, in verse 15, that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we, we ask of him. This is the confidence we have which means that effective praying begins with ascertaining the will of God. If we are a praying people and a praying church, then we, are, we want to know what, what is the will of God, what moves him. 
what moves him. We have to write down on our paper like God. I think these are the things that constitute your will for my life right now. So don't pray out of your own emotions. Pray from the place called the will of God. Amen? There's times where we pour ourselves to God. And he understands that. He understands that. He understands our weakness as he understands our humanity. But ultimately, the language that God understands is the will of God. It's the language called the will of God. The will of God. What is the will of God for Shanganani? What is the will of God for Keegan? What is the will of God for Winsid? What is the will of God for Vanessa? What is the will of God for Tammy? And that is why we need to pray. What is the will of God for Megan? We need to pray that. What is the will of God for Nomzamo? That's what we want to pray. That's the language that God understands. And so we want to, there is a place of humility in praying, God, I want to understand. What is your will for my life? What do you want? What, what do you prefer? That's what is what I want to pray. And if you pray accordingly, you're going to find power. You're going to find God's anointing. Amen? You're going to find the Spirit of God is going to lend upon those kinds of prayers. Prayers offered according to the will of God. Which means prayer begins in understanding the heart of God for myself. I'm not imposing to God. I'm not imposing my challenges to God. There's a, a place of humility in praying. I'm not imposing my, my situations to God. But I'm, I'm and out of understanding what His will is, I pray. I pray accordingly. I talk to Him. I wrestle with Him. Prayer offered in faith. James 5, verses 15 to 16. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he's, he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess, in verse 16, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sin person well. The Lord will raise him up. I'm going to pray prayers of faith. Prayers of faith are prayers of conviction, of persuasion around the will of God. I am now one with what God wants. That's what that means, a prayer of faith. I am praying from a place of God's will and I am not conflicted with that thing, but rather I'm persuaded around it, and I'm one with God. I'm one with God. There is no disconnect or conflict between my heart and God's heart about this matter, because I have established what His will is, and I'm convicted about it. And so, therefore, I pray accordingly. Amen? So, prayers, prayers of faith mean, means that I am one with that thing that I'm praying. I believe in it, in other words. It is now mine. I'm persuaded. Effective and powerful prayers, prayers of, of righteous people. Of course, this deals with sin and uh, purity and all these things. James 5, verses 16 to 18. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. Prayers of righteous people. People who are aligned with God. People who are walking in holiness. People who reject the world and sin. 
and darkness. People who are not holding inside of their own heart bitterness and bitter roots. Amen? And unforgiveness and all these things that hold us back from stepping into the things of God. We want to be a righteous bunch of people for our prayers to be heard by God and to be received and acceptable before God. Simply means that God looks at us first before he has to receive our praying. Prayer of a righteous person. Prayer of a righteous people. Prayers of a righteous community. That there is no sin among us. Amen? Prayer of a righteous person. Prayers offered from a place of brokenness, of humility, are effective and powerful. Psalm 51 verse 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. You will not. It's guaranteed. It's a promise from God. Where there's no arrogance and pride, a sin of pride within our own hearts, and bitterness and all these things, and stubbornness, God will not despise that. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Heart, oh God, you will not despise. James 4 verse 6, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Are you going to find, find yourself on the side of the humble? Amen? It gives grace to, and these are postures that are want for us as we get ready to fast and pray. I want us walking in the power of substitution principle. We are justified by faith. We are stepping into the position of Jesus because he stepped into our position. Our pain is his. He takes personal responsibility for what you are going through. You've got to believe that. He is actually concerned. We carry the marks of Jesus in our lives. And that's the mystery of salvation. That we're walking in the power of that cycle of confession, of faith, and of obedience. And inside of that, we're understanding the postures of powerful and effective prayers. Part of it is a broken heart. We don't want to be found with pride and arrogance and stubbornness within my heart. Prayers that are powerful are prayers that are offered from a place of relational peace. What kind of peace? Relational peace. Actually, we are not carelessly stepping into relational conflict and thinking we can pray powerful prayers. Relational peace is important before God. Matthew 5, verse 23, Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, Verse 24, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. Priority of relational peace. And then 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 7 speaks to husbands in the context of marriage. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your, with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life. And this is the objective so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Something about <laughs> your prayers can be hindered when there is relational conflict. I know that First Peter 3 is talking to husbands and wives, but 
the principle applies. Walk around and respect people. Amen? Yeah, honor people, respect them. Don't think ill of, of people. Respect them, honor. And these things are important for your own devotional life. Relational peace and devotion go hand in hand. You cannot have a thriving devotional life where there is no relational peace in your life. For that reason, the scriptures exhort us to make every effort to, to be at peace with everybody. To the best of your ability. As you grow, you understand relationships can be complicated. But at least it should not be on your account. If you should find yourself in some level of relational complication, you should not be the reason. If you are, go and try and fix it. Say, I'm sorry. I think I did you wrong. I think I offended you. I'm sorry. You know, and fix the issues because these things are important for your devotional life. You've got to be able to thrive inside of your own devotional life. Amen. Prayers of agreement. We actually need to be a community to have a powerful prayer life. That's what the agreement, that's the, we get the word uh, symphony. If we'll agree in Matthew 18 verses 19 to 20. Again, I tell you that if, uh, if two of you on earth agree on anything, about anything you ask for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where, they, uh, for where two or three come together in my name, there I am, am I with them. If, two or, if you agree, if you agree, it's a community. People that actually love one another, that there's kinship of Jesus, a sense of kinship. We are brother, brotherly kindness. We're actually brothers and sisters in the Lord who don't think ill of each other. Amen? And I would agree is the word symphony. Symphoneo, as we teach the LSC. You know, symphony, the blending of voices in a harmonious way. There's, there's no dissonance. There is no conflict. There, there are no funny attitudes. That relationship, relational spaces are kept with a sense of sacredness. Yeah? At all costs. I refuse to fall into offense easily. Amen? Amen? I don't just walk around picking offense like a magnet. You know a magnet? Simple. If you take a bunch of nails and, and throw a magnet, you're going to see everything's going to jump and attach itself. Sometimes we are like that. We're picking offense all along the way. We've got to agree. Symphony, harmony, community. These values are important because they are important for us to pray powerful and effective prayers. You cannot, God cannot hear the voice of LSA where there's relational breakage and where there's, no, where there's dishonor and lack of respect and honoring one another across the board, male, female, young and old, a sense of honor and respect that we want. Amen? Symphony like an orchestra, a sound has to be harmonious. Yeah. A sound has to be harmonious. Harmonious. Harmony. Effective and powerful prayers. Prayers of persistence. 
Sometimes we're going to pray repeatedly, pray the same thing for things to move. You don't just do it once and then forget and get tired. You have to pray it every day. Our believing the same thing and praying the same thing every day of your life until God moves. Amen? And Jesus gives us a parable in Luke chapter 18. It's a parable of the widow who approaches the king for justice. The king is harsh and unjust, but the persistence of the widow breaks the heart of the king. Eventually, the king moves and grants justice to this, to, to this widow. And we pick this from verse 6 in Luke chapter 18. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him how many times? Day and night, day and night, will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith in the earth? So we're given this parable of this widow to, to, to be taught a principle of persistence. We've got to be fighting. We've got to be fighters in the things of God. Amen? Amen? In Luke chapter 11, Jesus gives us another parable, same thing. A friend, a guy receives a friend at midnight and does not have bread and goes to his neighbor and is knocking because he wants a loaf of bread to be able to serve his visitor. But the neighbor is, it's one o'clock in the morning, the neighbor is sleeping. And he hears the knock and he's hoping that guy is going to give, up, give away, yeah? Give up and walk away. Go back. Sometimes we do that, right? We knock, we knock, and God, let's see. Is LSA going to be persistent in this matter? And the guy is persistent enough for his neighbor to wake up eventually. And so we pick this from verse 9 in Luke chapter 11. So I say to you, ask and it will be given. So in context of the parable, it reads as ask and continue asking. And it will be given to you. Seek and continue seeking and you will find. Knock and continue knocking and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. How powerful is this? Amen. Prayer persistence. Can we be persistent? Pray the same thing again and again until God moves. Don't give up. Don't knock just twice. Knock third time, the fourth time, the fifth time, the sixth time. Keep knocking. That's what that parable is. In other words, the, the spirit realm also speaks the language of persistence. In fact, persistence is, is the evidence of faith. A believing people are persistent people. They keep trying. They keep pressing. They keep pushing into the things of God. Amen? Lastly, prayer and fasting is what we're planning to do. Effective and powerful prayers. We've got to actually fast. And sometimes... I know, you know from time to time we fast as a community. Sometimes you need to fast in your own personal right. Amen? You know, administer your life. And if you feel like, uh, you feel like the flesh is messing up with you, 
The flesh needs to be brought under discipline. Amen? Yeah. If we keep feeding the, the flesh and the steak and stuff, you know, sometimes it starts messing up with you. The pleasures of the flesh sometimes needs to be disciplined. And in fact, not only is fasting a discipline, it's also an act of humility before God. It's depriving the flesh that basic thing that it requires, you know, that it craves, and that is food. And that is, you know, it survives by. So in Joel chapter 1, verse 14, declare a holy fast, call a sacred assembly, summon the elders and all who live in the land to the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord. That's what we want to do, right? We want to cry out to the Lord. In Acts 13, verse 2, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, I love that. The Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So things were activated, callings were brought to life in the midst of prayer and fasting. And so we need to fast and we need to teach the young ones to fast. That's like we need to teach them to tithe and all these things. Actually, these are disciplines you learn when you're still small. Sometimes you fast at least. I remember I grew up in a, you know, I grew up in a Christian family. My father was a pastor. You know, they would be fasting sometimes, you know. And we'd try to fast, maybe breakfast. <laughs> and switch back on, you know, by lunchtime, man, we're eating. We were kids. But that teaches you something teaches you something. Prayer and fasting. Jesus fasted. It doesn't get any better than that. Yeah? There's no amount of revelation or any that disquiet that, 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 that by which, you know, we are absolved from the need to fast and pray. Fasting is a, is a discipline of the faith. And sometimes our flesh needs it. But obviously, we do it in a properly in moderation and with all, with, with all things considered. Amen? And fasting is good for you. It's good for me. We all need it from, from time to time. Unleashes the power of God. Don't you want the power of God? Yeah. Unleashes the power of God, I tell you. So prayer and fasting. Effective and powerful prayers. Now, we're going to do that next week. We're going to fast and pray and call on the name of the Lord and walk in the power of substitution. Take the place of Jesus as it takes, as it takes our own place. Our challenge, our, our problems are his. He takes personal responsibility for what happens now since you are his child. Amen? Amen? Let's confess our identity, our position, our actions. Let us believe God for what God has already done. Let's not try and create another way. Amen? For what God has already done for you. But that's the cross. That's Jesus. Let's tap into that. And let's obey God in that process. And we're going to see the power of God inside of our own lives. Let's stand and pray. Bless the name of the Lord. Thank you, Jesus.